All right. Uh, welcome tonight, Miss Sarah Wall, to uh, the Kabata Connect podcast. And Sarah uh, and I are going to have a conversation tonight about something that's maybe a little bit off the beaten path from what we normally talk about, but it's uh, it's something that's definitely relevant as uh, as we're kind of going all going through these COVID times, and we're in August now, so approaching uh, September when the various regions and various countries are deciding to do different things in terms of go, going back to school and what to do with the kids. And uh, so my wife and I were wondering that ourselves and uh, you know, have decided to take a route of homeschooling. And in doing some research uh, on the website of the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents, they sent some links about describing kind of some basic information about homeschooling and what it's about, how you can do it, and uh, why you might consider it. And, uh, and so some links went to uh, Sarah's blog, RaisingRoyalty.ca, and that's where we started to kind of, you know, not just as a, an alternative because of COVID, but kind of get a little bit of a taste of the philosophy behind homeschooling and then a process called de-schooling. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, <laughs> uh, but that's how I get introduced mm-hmm. to you, Sarah. So I was hoping you might yeah. be able to just give a little introduction about you, your background, and kind of how you got to doing this, and then maybe we can kind of use that as a, jump, a jumping point. Sure. Um, So I'm a single mom. I live here in Southern Ontario. I have six children. I have six little girls, ages three through 16. And I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a lazy parent. So I started homeschooling because of that. Um, My youngest has a late birth, or rather my oldest has a late birthday. And so she would have started school at three and a half. And she was this little tiny thing. And I was just like, I can't send her. I can't send her. She's too small. So I kept her because it was just easier than dealing with small child in kindergarten. And uh, she surprised me by figuring out how to read. I wasn't doing a whole lot. She figured out how to read around her fourth birthday. And I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. I didn't do a whole lot. She's reading. You know, we can do this. And so, you know, it grew from there. And uh, we kept her home another year. And when it was time to start first grade, I'd had another baby and I was pregnant with the next. And I just thought it's, you know, it's too much of a transition. We've got a lot going on. We'll just stay home. When the fifth baby came along and people were telling me, well, why don't you put her in school? It'll be easier. We live in Canada. It was taking me 45 minutes just to put the snowsuits on. (laughs) And people wanted me to do that twice a day every day five days a week to put one child on a school bus and i was looking at them like going are you crazy i was just it was too much work so i I tell people i fell into homeschooling because i was just i was a lazy parent i just couldn't be bothered to do the 45 minute snowsuit on and then 45 minute snowsuit off for five minutes outside interrupting nap times interrupting meal times to put one child on and off a school bus and then when my marriage ended and we needed stability homeschooling became our normal. It became the one thing that stayed the same with all the other transitions. It became the bond that held my little family together. And we thrived, like we just thrived in this. I was able to provide the emotional support that they needed. And I was able to, you know, we didn't keep the routines the same. And, and I mean, we moved and we had disruptions and, you know, chaos around us, but homeschooling kept our routines the same. It kept our days the same. It gave us something to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And we fell in love with the philosophy. We fell in love with the lifestyle. It was just flexible. And there were so many other benefits that came along as the kids grew, as, you know, um, 
as they, they learned and they were thriving and new challenges came up and homeschooling allowed me to take care of that without struggling against systemic issues that were against me anyways, being a single parent and, uh, you know, struggling with having an added layer of bureaucracy. We just didn't have to deal with that. And I was able to give my kids what they needed one-on-one, you know, and, and they're thriving and we love it. I think uh, probably to the uninitiated such as myself, um, homeschooling, you know, we know it's a thing, but we don't necessarily know what it looks like. And maybe we know somebody that's been homeschooled. And my, my closest cousins in my life were homeschooled their whole lives. And uh, I have a really good friend as well in another country who homeschooled his son. And the one thing I can say with the different homeschooling that they have in common is that they have nothing in common. <laughs> that's right. Um, it looks very, very different. So yeah. what, I guess, I guess to, to start off, like, our two certain scenarios. You said you're a single mom with six kids, and it takes, like, a, a two-hour routine just to get one kid on the bus. So in your case, in that case, there's, going to school is actually more, like, was more it's more work, yeah. In, in my case, I, I do have um, a partner, so I do have the shared help. So on the days that I'm working, she can teach, and then if she needs a break, on the days that I'm off, I can come and take over. So we have that able to juggle. I guess maybe people that are consider this would be wondering, like, they, they think it's got to be like your eight hours a day or something, or how am I going to do this when I hold down a job? And, and in fact, if I can ask, how did you do it as a single mom? Um, because if you're, if you're teaching during the day, you have to draw an income somehow. So how are you able to juggle that uh, if some of your situation and they're looking at Yeah, well, I mean, and a lot of people have the mis- mis- misconception that homeschooling requires the same amount of time that it does in a public school environment. But you have to consider a couple of things here. The majority of actual learning time that it takes place in a public school environment is not the same, the same as the amount of time that they actually spend there. The majority of the time that kids are in a public school environment is spent in waiting. If you actually think logically, go think back to when you were in public school. How much time did you spend waiting in line to go into a classroom, to leave a classroom, to go out to recess, to go into lunch, to go to the bathroom, to, you know, go someplace, right? How much time did you spend in waiting for supplies to be handed out, for quizzes to be handed out, for, you know, materials to be handed out, waiting for your question to be answered, waiting for everybody to be quiet so you could hear the instructions, waiting for someone to, you know, for the teacher to deal with a problem somewhere else so that, you know, she could move on with the rest of the class. The majority of a children's time, of a child's time in a public school environment is spent in waiting. Um, they've, I've seen different reports from various public school teachers that say that the actual amount of time spent learning in, the, in, a, in an average second grader's classroom is about 90 minutes per day. 90 minutes a day is more than enough to cover all of your core topics, all of your core skills, you know, everything a child would need to know for a well-rounded education and more. So it doesn't take eight hours a day to deliver the materials and, you know, to deliver the education that we expect children to have at certain ages. And I mean, I could get into that, but anyways, for, for a personal for my personal story, um, I don't homeschool traditionally. And we can get into a little bit about the various methods of homeschooling. But personally, I don't homeschool traditionally. I'm not directly teaching my children. 
I tell people I don't teach my kids. I facilitate their education, but I'm not teaching them. My kids are independent learners. I provide them with the materials that they need in order to master skills and concepts that I feel is necessary for an education. Um, I provide them with a guided learning plan, but I don't teach them. They complete their assignments and I give them feedback. I will spend five minutes or 30 seconds really here and there helping them to understand instructions, helping them to understand a concept. But it's rare that I spend longer than five minutes with any one child teaching them material. It's just not necessary. <laughs> and so my kids are independent learning. And while they're learning, I am doing, because um, I run a business from home. So I am working with my clients. I'm working on my business. I'm doing other things around the house. You know, it, there's lots of other things that I can be doing. So while they're doing their education, um, I have other things that I'm doing as well. So Now, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so homeschooling doesn't have to look any particular way. And people are probably freaking out right now. They think, if I pull my kid out of school and I, Mm -hmm. And if I th even if I think it's possible, okay, I can do an hour and a half a day even with the job, you know, maybe. Yep. Uh, or especially if it's a two uh, two parent uh, household where they have that exactly. extra extra help that they can pull that off. But they must think like, okay, if you're in homeschool, then how do you get some sort of you know what standard do you have to reach? What standards are there that we have to reach to get to what you know what hoops you have to jump through? But and I was talking to this uh, about my wife the other day, and I was posing this question for her like, how yeah. do we know? How do we get you know government regulated? How is this? Because when I look at it, it doesn't look very regulated at all, and it seems very, no, very, it uh, very. So don't even know how to I, describe it. Open. <laughs> again, there's a couple of myths here. Um, one, there is not a world standard for what you need to know by X age. There just isn't. Standards vary from province to province. They vary from country to country. I mean, countries like Finland, which has, according to the United Nations, the best education system in the world. Doesn't e they don't even start formal education until the age of eight, right? They don't start, I mean, it's daycare and play-based uh, before the age of eight. Formal education doesn't start till age eight. So, I mean, with our tradition of starting formal education at age four, we're very, very different systems. The second thing is a lot of people misunderstand edu how education works in Canada. Education is a provincial mandate. We do not have a national standard of education. So for a child in second grade in Alberta, we'll be learning very different skills and concepts and topics than a child in Nova Scotia or a child here in Ontario. Because education standards are provincially mandated, we come down to Ontario. And Ontario actually does not have an official uh, curriculum. Ontario offers curriculum guidelines, and those are freely available on the Ministry of Education website if you want to get them. Um, in fact, a friend of mine, another blogger, the Lisa Marie from the Canadian Homeschooler, did us all a favor and codified them into little checklists, and you can download those free from her blog. Um, but we don't have an actual curriculum here in Ontario. We have guidelines. We have, you know, basically suggested topics and things that should be covered by a certain grade. And it's left up to school boards, schools, and ultimately individual teachers to purchase, develop, create, and deliver the materials that will convey those topics and skills to our students. That leaves a lot of freedom. That means that, you know, there's not, nothing that says it's done in a certain order. 
which means that if you had a child in Toronto School Board and you have a child in Windsor School Board, they could be in the exact same grade and doing completely different things. Which means that if you're moving, say, from Thunder Bay to London and moving schools, you might end up with gaps in your child's education because it's not standardized. It's not going to be the same from school, from school board to school board. Even within the same school board, it's not going to be the same. You, you know, you could have teachers at one public school teaching completely different concepts and materials at a, any particular time than one at a different school board, even within the same school. Right right? Because you have two second grade classrooms and they could be teaching completely different topics at, at, you know, the same time of the year. It just, it's going to be up to the individual teachers. So nothing is standardized. That gives us as parents a whole lot of control over our child's education. And person, and again, this is a personal opinion, but I've looked at the Ontario curriculum standards and I find them low. I find them quite low in terms of academics, but I also find them developmentally inappropriate for children. I find that they have mismatched what children are capable of physiologically and developmentally versus, you know, what should be taught at particular ages. Mm -hmm. In some cases, I find that based on my research of child development, um, the Ontario curriculum is so, is expecting way too much and in other cases, their expectations are way, way too low. <laughs> you look at the Ontario curriculum, and a lot of the times you wonder if the people that developed it actually had children. Right. Because some things are just like, how do you even expect a child to actually get that concept? Like, that's so far beyond them. Or right, so right. far beneath them. It's, Sorry it's funny. Cut, cut you off there. You're just reminding me. You're saying they, you, you're designing this children's curriculum without ever having uh, children. It reminds me of being in Ireland. On my honeymoon, and we're driving around in the in Southwest Cork in uh, basically the Ring of Kerry, and there's this super you know there's these roads as wide as my laptop. They're like super small <laughs> and uh, winding roads, and it's two directional. It's basically a single lane, and the speed limit's 100 kilometers an hour because it's a national highway. And uh, my friend told me, yeah, it's some guy in Dublin who just looked on the map, points at it, says, oh, it's a highway, make it 100, you know, without even actually being in the territory and understanding why. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a lot of the way that our education system has feels like it's been put together um, simply because we just don't, we don't have a nationalized education system and we don't have a standardized, I mean, they've attempted to, to standardize, but all you end up getting with standardization with testing is you get teachers that look at the test and say, this is what I have to teach. And they don't okay. do anything beyond that. Yeah. Is this going to be on the test? You prepare, you're preparing people to take a test. You're not preparing them to live. It's and that's what my wife you're not preparing them for an education. Like, you're not actually yeah. educating them. Yeah. Right? Like my wife, she said she's never used algebra in a day in a life past high school, but, you know, she had to relearn how to do her taxes because kids don't get taught that. So they'll get yep. taught to save and invest, you know, their life skills. Exactly. But you get taught kind of useless stuff that you won't have. You get taught about. trigonometry, yeah. you know, and, and only certain people actually need to know that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a give and take. We've decided as a society that there's a certain – level of general knowledge that prepares our children to be functional and contributing members of society. Whether that's actually reflected in our education system is debatable. And entirely depends on who you talk to. It also can depend on what kind of students you were when you were in school. It, it can depend on what kind of teachers you've experienced for your children while they were in school. I mean, like everything, you've got good teachers and you've got bad teachers. 
right? You've got people who should never have started teaching in the first place, and you've got people that do it for the love of the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, it's going to vary, but there's nothing that standardizes in public school. So to expect that from the homeschool is both unreasonable and unfair, right? If, if you can't expect that from the public school, you really can't expect that from the homeschool. What we find from the research that's been done, and a lot of the research that's been done on homeschooling is American, simply because that's where the majority of world homeschoolers are. Um, so they have studies, though, that have followed homeschooled children right up into adulthood, and they have found that across the board, not only do homeschooled kids do better on academic standardized tests, they do better in college. They do better in society. They're more likely to be married. They're more likely to have a full-time job. They're more likely to start a business. They're more likely to vote. They're more likely to be volunteering. They're more likely to be active in their community, in their church, in their, you know, what they believe in. They're more likely, just across the board, they're less likely to be in prison. They're less likely to be in trouble with the law, they're less likely. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, because it does, right? People are people. But generally speaking, the stats say that they're less likely to be on the negative sides of society and much more to be on the functioning, contributing members of society. Not only, something you're just talking about, how they're excelling at all these things. I mean, one thing we're talking about, you know, we're afraid in a, in a homeschool scenario. If, I, if I'm coming from this institutionalized setting, I'm afraid. I'm not going to meet these educational standards because I feel like as a parent, I'm going to be inept at being able to do what the teachers do, right? But on the flip side of that coin is it's a standardized education. So if my child or your child has a certain interest or passion or they excel at something, that may or may not be supported in a way that pushed exactly. them to excel because we can't, we, can't, uh, we can't pour the resources and time and effort into that because we have to meet all these other requirements. So let's just get you to a certain level. And we're not going to necessarily pay attention to, why well, you're really into astronomy, we're going to really push that. You're really into yeah. music, we're really going to push that. And, yeah. you know, maybe I'm, going to, maybe I'm going to let go of your <laughs> trigonometry and push maybe more as in the arts yeah. or whatever, based on my child's aptitude. And first of all, you had a question. The, the education system that we came out of that leaves us feeling inadequate to teach our own children. I mean, what... When it was so wrong with the education system, the education that you received, that you aren't, don't feel capable of teaching your own children at least the basics. Mm -hmm. Did you not learn them? Oh no! Yeah, it's just it's just, it's just <laughs> right? because it's just because you're so you're taught that you know this is the way, this is the way it's been done, and it's a conditioning because you grew up. It with is. That. It's and very it's, much conditioning. And this is probably this breakaway process, the, the ability to accept yourself and teach your kids to kind of reframe what education means to you. Uh, this is a process you call de-schooling. This is the process I call de-schooling. That's exactly it. It's a process of, um, I call it three stages, right? So when you first pull a child from public school, depending on the reasons and how long they've been in public school, each stage will take a little, a different look, slightly different look and a slightly different length of time. And the first stage is what I call detox. And I think of it, I liken it to recovering from a major illness or a major surgery, right? You wouldn't expect a child or, you know, anybody who had just had orthopedic surgery for a broken leg to go run a marathon. Like that's kind of an unreasonable expectation, right? So they have to get stronger. They have to repair anything that got broken, right? They have to heal. 
So if there was trauma in the public school, if there was bullying, if there was, you know, abuse in the classroom, because that happens, if there were, um, you know, even, even smaller things, like just being made to feel inferior occasionally or having a self-esteem or self, self-worth damaged, just even a little bit, it takes time to bring that back. So you give them space and you give yourself space to get over the idea that you can't teach your own children because that's an injury, right? Mm -hmm. You are a parent who, when you think of it, they gave you a baby at the hospital and said, go home, have fun, love your child, right? No instruction manuals. You will have to figure it out like everybody else, right? But you manage to not only keep a brand new baby alive, but you manage to teach them you know, how to dress themselves and how to walk and how to talk. So that by the time they were seven years old, they probably had an average vocabulary of 80,000 words. And that's from the parents. Mm. That's not from the teacher. So if you've learned, if you've taught them how to control their bodily functions and you've taught them how to feed themselves without making a mess, teaching them how to write and read and problem solve is actually less challenging. Mm -hmm. So that's what the detox is about, is recovering that confidence and, reco and healing from the damage that was done. You know, e even if it was just mild, you still have to go through that process of, of correcting the public school mindset. Then you go through a process of, I guess, defiance, right? Because now everything's changed. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we hate change. We absolutely detest change. We resist change with everything like you know it, that's why it's so hard to break old bad habits and why it's so hard to start good habits because we really do resist change so you'll find that depending on how long your children have been in school older children tend to really struggle with this where they start boundary testing everything <laughs> so you might find <laughs> like that one over there downstairs right now He's turning yeah. ninth, ninth birthday tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I bet you're probably getting a little bit of pushback on, you know. Everything. <laughs> right? He's probably a little more disrespectful than you'd like. He's probably be a lot more resistant on following the rules and doing what he's supposed to. Even though the rules haven't changed. But a major part of his life has mm. changed. And so because that's changed, he's naturally testing to see if everything else is the same. And as parents, our job here then is to make sure that we are setting firm, loving boundaries and establishing house and parenting rules, right? So this is where we're still not bringing in formal academics. We're still in that process of healing, but now we're, we're starting off the way we need to go on. So this is where you would start establishing those routines and those expectations of behavior, expectations of the standards of the kind of child of the family values that you have mm -hmm. you know if, if you value as a like for me example for example we value in our family um, we value the family bond and so one of the questions I'm always asking my, my girls whenever they have a conflict I'm like what's more important your need to get whatever it is you're fighting over or your sister what's mm -hmm. more important and the, the you know it always forces them to stop and think is what I want, my rights, my wants more important than my relationship with my sister? No, I love my sister more. So, and then the follow-up is your job is to make sure your sister has a good time. Make sure your sister has, you know, what she needs. 
And when everybody, when, when both parties do that, everybody has fun. Everybody gets what they want when the focus is taken off themselves. But that's a priority. And that's the message that I'm always giving my children. I'm always giving my children that that bond is important. And the second thing that I'm always giving my children is I'm giving them the, the uh, concept that they have a choice. I'm telling them, make better choices, make good choices. What's the right choice here? What choices do you have? On that because note, that's some, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, on that note, when you started, so you've been doing it for a while, but when you started, I'm guessing it was probably just as scary for you as it was for anybody else approaching it for the first time. They're on the precipice about to embark on this journey and they don't know what the hell end is up. So <laughs> kind of where, where did you, where did you go? How did you, and because you have to decide what, you know, like you say, you, yeah. kids, you, you, well, you facilitate their learning, but how did you decide to structure it? And where did you get the, I guess, where did you get the confidence that it's okay to do it this way? Part of that is I came from a slightly untraditional background myself. I went to a private school. And so I learned early on that public school wasn't the only way that you could do school. That's not the only way you can educate. Um, and I've always been a lifelong learner. So when homeschooling first occurred to me that, you know, I'm just going to keep her home and I guess I have to do something education-wise, I went he head first into the deep end and started looking up everything I could look, about, look up about homeschooling. And it branched off from homeschooling, um, especially when my second child was born and she was born with a developmental disability. And so as we were going through the journey for her um, and, and trying to figure out what the delays were and how to, to best address those delays, um, I dove into childhood development and I dove into education and I dove into learning styles and, and all of that. And it's been a process of, you know, a decade of, of researching and learning and, and growing. And as that, I've formed philosophies, not just around homeschooling, but around being a family. I mean, I've always, I always tell people, homeschooling isn't just an education alternative. It can really be a lifestyle. Hmm. And when it's a lifestyle, the freedom that you get to be a family, to have you know, family goals to have, um, you know, a family that, that is close and is bonded and is supporting and is loving and is going to be together. Even if they move far apart, they're going to have close family bonds for a lifetime. You know, I'm looking at making memories with my kids. I'm looking at, it's not about, you know, learning addition and, and how to communicate. And those are important. But for me, it's about ensuring that we have relationships and that, I'm raising, you know, children that will become adults that will make a difference in the world. And that's what I'm getting out of. That's my goal as a homeschooling parent. So you could probably, although every parent's experience and child's experience will be different, yeah. you could probably start off, my guess would be start off with uh, your, I guess, in our case, the Ontario guidelines, which are available on your friend's blog. And yeah. you can kind yeah. of, you could, if you, you know, you could at the very least use that as a as a starting point as a, as a starting point and to, to you know and gather different units or items or whatever the case is because exactly. again you do it is an alternative way of doing things but you still want them to pick up you know kind of the like bed mass like the order there, of doing math and all these kind yeah, of things right yeah it's just a matter of when do you feel like they're comfortable learning that and i mean you have to remember, grades are an arbitrary, especially in Ontario, grades are simply an arbitrary grouping of children who were born in the same year. Mm. 
-hmm. Ontario actually promotes places children in grades by age. They don't promote children based on proof of learning. If you have a child born in 2008, they will go in to grade seven, right. regardless of how much they've actually learned, regardless of their academic ability, they'll go into grade seven, right. period. And you know, it doesn't matter if they have learned mastered grade seven math and they're on to grade 11 math, it doesn't matter, they're still grade seven and they'll still, still learn grade seven math. And it doesn't matter if they've only mastered grade two math and they're in grade seven, it doesn't matter. They will be exposed to grade seven math and f be frustrated and left behind and probably ignored for, you know, unless they make a disruption. And, you know, they'll come home with all kinds of failed marks and failed tests and mm -hmm. teacher notes, but, you know, it's not going to make a difference when they haven't mastered right. multiplication, right. right? But Ontario doesn't allow flexibility in there. It's, you know, you're in, in that grade by your age. Whereas when we homeschool, we can meet the kids where they're at. And even within the various subjects. If you choose to use subjects to, to organize your homeschooling, um, if, for example, I have a child who is mathematically gifted. She's uh, just turned 10, and she is on to multiplying and dividing fractions. For the average fifth grader, they should be doing long division. She mastered long division at seven. So, you know, I have a child who is well above her peers in terms of her mathematical ability. At the same time, she is within peer level on her writing ability. Yeah. And I, so I can give her peer level, grade level material for her writing class subject, and I can give her advanced math and not have to slow her down mm -hmm. so that everything stays within the same range of normal. For my developmentally delayed child, I, she's now been diagnosed as an autistic. She's mastered grade two math. We're ready to start slowly working towards multiplication. Because of her learning disabilities, it will probably take us a good two to three years to master multiplication. But I can give her that time. I can give her that space. I can give her the material that is at her level without worrying about keeping up with some arbitrary grade level because I homeschool and because it's flexible. And you're talking about too, that, that, that lifestyle of learning basically. And mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, can, I can hear the objections to some other people, like how are you gonna socialize them? And because we think school, you know, from eight until three or whatever, and then, and then mm -hmm. I gotta go home and then my parents can drop me off at baseball or dance or karate or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but that baseball, that karate, that, that whatever, that's a part of that learning, that skill building. It's a part it of is. your education. It's not school and an extracurricular. Life is the school. Exactly. Is what you're Life is education. I mean, you can learn so much just from being outside, for example. I, I mean, I tell people, you have to learn the art of educationalese. Educators, professional educators, use a certain kind of language to describe activities in the classroom. And we can apply that same jargon to activities that are done in the home. Take, for example, baking cookies, classic mom and child, you know, activity to do, right? Especially around Christmas, baking cookies. You would think, eh, that's not exactly all that educational. Like, really? How, you know, how educational is it? Except that you're dealing with fractions right away, right off the top. You're dealing with chemistry. You're dealing with biology. You're dealing with, you know, reading. 
in comprehension and following instructions and inference and drawing conclusions. More importantly, how to make food. Because <laughs> right? we need it to survive. It's, right? a, it's a life, life skill. skill. So you've got yeah. home economics. Yeah. You've got food safety. So you've got health and safety here. You've got, you know, like there's so much that comes into that. I tell people all the time, if for a quality education, all you really need is a library card and a, access to an outdoor space and a willing, engaged adult. Mm-hmm. And it's conversation that will create the educational environment. If you as a parent are willing to actually answer all of the questions that your child will inevitably have as soon as you start homeschooling and get past the, you know, rediscover their love of learning, children are natural sponges. They will start asking you all kinds of questions. I was fixing my washing machine. We had a clog the other day and uh, my, my daughter is looking at the spiders and, and that are in, hiding in behind the washing machine. And she goes, I wonder if spiders clean themselves. Hmm. Just random question. We found out. Probably the curiosity. Yeah. Right? So we had a little miniature, at, you know, lesson on insect anatomy and insect life cycles. And we found out that, yes, spiders clean themselves much like cats do. And that if they are covered in insecticide, they will die. <laughs> So, that's you know, like it's just like, cool, right? She's just fascinated by this. So we had an impromptu science lesson while we're having an impromptu life skills and mechanics lesson, right? So, you know, learning can happen anywhere. There was a, an old commercial when I was a teenager. If you recall, it used to be this poem that this guy was reading. He said, for learning to happen, all you need is a book. It was the last lines of the poem. But really, for learning to happen... All you really need is a curious <laughs> mind and someone to help you answer, find the answers. Yeah. That's a, and that's great. Like uh, nowadays, like even my, my daughter, like she's two, right? And uh, we just transitioned her a couple of weeks ago from a crib to like the big girl bed now. Yeah. So now in the middle of the night, she doesn't scream bloody murder until you come get her if she wakes up. Now she just gets out of bed and comes beside you and screams bloody murder beside you. <laughs> so <laughs> That's um, a wake up call. <laughs> But yeah, in the in the morning when it's actually time to get up for the day, um, you know, we'll just we'll pass her the phone to watch her the YouTube kids like cartoons or something like that, just for you know to keep her kind of. And it's like she knows how to operate a freaking smartphone, and she's two. Yep. Now, like you said, all you need is a library card and those basic curiosity nowadays, right? They can nowadays just, we all have these pocket computers, right? Yeah, we have that. We have the computer in front of us. Uh, and the one thing I was thinking too, uh, just on the conversation here, just crossing my mind. When you're doing a standard education, you have, let's just pick a grade, grade seven. Grade seven teacher is teaching all the different subjects. Or, or you may have a different geography teacher, you may have a history teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many of them are actually experts in that field? I mean, they're, they're experts in teaching, but, you know, exactly. what about introducing my child to a mechanic to learn about cars? What about introducing them to exactly. a, a veterinarian to learn about animals or learn about medicine? And why don't we take them to the subject matter experts to learn about the subject matter? You know, exactly. uh, they'll get a higher, higher uh, value education than they would be just someone who's just there's, getting out of a book. There's nothing like, I mean, this past year, my girls were studying the, the uh, Mesoamerican history. And so, and the ROM has a standard, um, they had a, a Mayan exhibit mm-hmm right there and there was nothing like seeing the pictures you know we can see the pictures in the book and we can color them and we can watch the movies all we like but going there and actually walking inside 
right? And, and looking up at the architecture and seeing the symbols on the pottery and on the carvings, it just really connected for them. It really made it, you know, that this was a real thing. And there are relics now that we can go back and, and look at. And then we went and talked with um, friends of mine who were, had been missionaries in Guadalupe. And uh, she's like, and they were telling her that, oh, they had met Mayans, that they were still speaking the Mayan language. And she was showing them videos of her friends from Guatemala and from, you know, Central America and how these were still people that still existed. And they'd once had this empire and you should have seen the look of amazement and excitement. Mm. I mean, that's got to be one of my favorite parts of homeschooling is I don't miss the first I get to see that look. You know that look when your child first masters walking and they realize they can actually move now on their own? <laughs> I fast. see that <laughs> look every single time they master a new concept and it never gets old. It's right. my favorite part of homeschooling. So uh, you're a person just starting out. You're making a decision to go on this journey. Okay, I'm going to – because right now especially, I usually just look at a photo today. I put it on my Instagram stories of a setup from a, of a classroom where all the yeah. kids are wearing masks, and then all the desks have these like yeah, bubble the, boy. The, they have a bubble boy feel to them. <laughs> and yeah. here's the crazy thing: you can you travel uh, your classroom. You travel in a specific size pod, and that pod may be your classroom, right? Or they may be split in a half. I think they do four class sizes now, but you can only travel with your classroom. Uh, there's limited breaks, bathroom breaks. You all have to go together. And I'm thinking, yeah. are they paying extra staff? to clean the washrooms in between classrooms. Exactly. Like, like, and when does the chaos. teacher, when does the teacher get any privacy? Right? Like, uh, it's just, I, right. I don't, I don't, I, I think that none of us really know how to handle what's going on with COVID, but I think yeah. uh, homeschooling is definitely, definitely a viable solution. Uh, it, it's, that, I mean, it's been a viable solution for over 40 years. Oh, of course. <laughs> so, you know, I, we, I actually really like the fact that the pandemic has, has opened people's eyes to the idea that there's a different way. Mm -hmm. And education can not only look different, but could be more valuable, yeah. right? It can be more valuable. It can be our, more uh, useful. Our, our, our region, our, our the regional education here, uh, when they're going back, they have a couple of different options, right? There's uh, that whole, you go into school in person and there's a whole regimented, mm -hmm. you know, COVID times uh, treatment. There's, part online as well. And when they do the part online, where it'll be the teacher-led learning, you know how much they recommend? 255 minutes a day. Yeah. That's like, what, two hours in the morning, two hours in the night or in the afternoon. They want your kid to be on, on the screen to be learning from a teacher who's going to be what? Just have a Zoom mic, you know, like we're talking now. Like, how yeah. are they going to, that's, that's, uh, I think that's a really silly, <laughs> I mean, they're trying, but I mean, try a little They're harder. trying. This seems, little, this seems a little silly. My, my question for all of my question for all of that has anybody actually talked to the internet service providers yet? <laughs> you know, we've had a few uh, internet connections, and you know, it's fairly late at night right now while we're, when we're doing this. Do you imagine trying to do this when you're on Zoom and your son is on Zoom, and maybe your wife is on Zoom for work, and maybe you have Netflix on for your daughter to keep her? you know, occupied and out of everybody's way. And so that's for video streaming mm -hmm. on your residential internet service provider. Are they right. ready for that? I don't know. I guess we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> I, 
I guess. I guess. Right? But, you know, there's a lot that goes into making the decision. Right? There really is. If you're thinking of actually starting to homeschool and you're actually thinking of doing it just for the short term, your first step is going to be to make the commitment to homeschool for at least a year. For best, for best practices, you want to commit to a year. You just don't want to be going back and forth because that's what's going to end up in gaps within your child's education. So commit to the year. Um, you can always go back next year, and they will take your kids back, no questions asked. All you need is a birth certificate and proof of residency. And a mask. <laughs> and a mask. But, you know, like, there's not going to be any, any tests. There's not going to be any requirement to, to show proof of curriculum or proof of learning. It's just not going to be asked. Um, so to withdraw your child here in Ontario, you send in a simple form. It's available on the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents website. It's called your uh, notice of your intent to homeschool. Okay. You don't have to fill out any other forms. You don't have to talk to anybody else. You simply fill out that form, sign it, date it, send it off to your school board. You should get a letter of acknowledgement. It might be a little delayed this year because there's a lot more. Um, and you may be call called by a social worker or the principal or somebody from the school board simply because every loss of student from the public school system results in a loss of funding. <laughs> so they're going to follow the money. No I know I'm a, that's a little cynical, but it's it really is the, you know, the truth. They're, they're cynical and it's realistic, and sometimes the line between the two is pretty thin. We're, we're already <laughs> seeing that happen in a lot of the, the support groups that we have. We're already seeing parents being followed up from the school board and, and being asked intrusive questions that they don't have to answer by law. They just, they don't. Yeah, it's uh, homeschooling is a... Uh, it's a uh, human right under the United Nations uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Is this correct? Yeah, it's a, the parent's right to choose their child's education is not only a human right under the UN Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm -hmm. It's the first part of the Education Act of Ontario. It's the very first statement that says parents have the right to choose their child's education. Mm -hmm. So like it's enshrined, your right to homeschool, your right to choose is enshrined in law. And that really is the only part of the Education Act that actually deals with homeschooling. The rest of the regulations, I guess that we can call them, um, that deal with homeschooling are actually a policy developed about 20 years ago with the uh, negotiation between the Ontario Federation of Teaching Parents and the Ministry of Education to develop a policy that the school boards are supposed to follow in regards to homeschoolers. One of those is that they need to assume a child is getting a satisfactory education at home and it's on them to prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. So they can't ask you to prove that you're giving your child a satisfactory education. They have to prove that you're not. Right. And there's this difference there, right? Mm -hmm. So once you've dealt with the legal side, take some time to adjust, right? If you're only homeschooling for the short term, so only you know until things go back to normal, whatever that looks like, but different than what it is now, um, something that's maybe more acceptable. To, to you as a parent. Take a couple of weeks, you know, three or four weeks out of the beginning of the school year to adjust, to adjust to your new normal, to establish those family rules, to establish the routines, you know, when people are going to be waking up, what behaviors you're expecting from your kids, what you're going to tolerate, what you're not, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Then 
take the Ontario curriculum checklists off of uh, the Canadian Homeschoolers blog and use those as your guide to providing and providing materials for your, for your child. You're going to want to stick closer to how school is done at a public school simply because you don't want the transition going back because you are planning on going back to be difficult. Um, so you're going to want to stick closer. You're going to want to use workbooks. You're going to want to use textbooks. Um, you're probably going to want to have a set time set aside for doing school as opposed to, you know, just doing it whenever, um, simply so that you stay closer. There are lots of materials available. Uh, Scholar's Choice, Mastermind Toys, both offer excellent uh, workbooks that will align with the Ontario curriculum. Staples now has math workbooks that align with the Ontario curriculum. Um, Teachers Pay Teachers and Pinterest are also great sources for finding smaller packages of printable products that you can then download um, either for free or for purchase, you know, to print off and use those to teach a specific skill or concept. And you can get through your year that way. It'll take a little bit more time and planning on your end, but it's totally doable. If you're looking to homeschool long-term, if this is going to be a permanent change for you, it's slightly different. You're going to withdraw, you know, and you're going to decide um, that you're going to homeschool and it is going to be a long-term decision. And then once you've withdrawn, you're going to take a longer time to adjust because now you want to go through the actual process of de-schooling. And it's almost more important for parents to de-school than it is for kids. Kids are resilient. They adjust a whole lot faster than us old people who have our mindset in a certain way. And so you're going to want to take a little bit longer to do your research. Figure out what kind of lifestyle you want. Readingroyalty.ca. <laughs> yeah. Figure out what kind of lifestyle you want. Figure out what values you have for your family. What's the priority? What's the goal for homeschooling? Is it academic success? Is it to be able to have room to, you know, allow a talent or a skill to develop? Is it to allow for a more well-rounded education? Is it to allow for more room for athletic success? You know, what's the reason? Right? What's your kid like, right? What's your kid like? Figure out how your kid learns best, right? If your child is one that loves to take it apart and put it back together again to figure out how it works, they're probably not going to do well with a curriculum that has a ton of reading. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, if your child loves, you know, you can't get them out of the books, they're probably not going to do well with something that requires them getting messy. Right. Figure out that. Figure out how you want to teach. Figure out how much time you want to be hands-on with your kids. I do not want to be very hands-on with my kids. I love giving them stuff to do and letting them just go. I don't want the control over their education. I want them taking responsibility. Other parents love diving in with their kids and getting in there and learning with them. And that's fantastic. It's just going to depend on, you know, there's nothing wrong with either style. It's just going to depend on what kind of family you want. Right. Just out of curiosity, two questions, uh, mm -hmm. A and B, I guess. A, uh, you said a lot of the research and the studies are kind of more American because it's a larger, uh, it a larger phenomena there. What is the, what is the environment for homeschooling like in Canada and Ontario just specifically? And secondarily, I'm just out of curiosity, is there a larger connection between entrepreneurs that do homeschooling or not? Like, because it, it, again, you kind of have a non-traditional <laughs> schedule, maybe a non-traditional life. You're working, you're working 24 hours a day, but it's, and also, 
does that lend itself to teaching entrepreneurial skills to your kids? As a- it, it, I mean, addressing the first one, if you look at the pr- proportional population compared to the U.S. versus Canada, proportionally, we have the same amount of homeschoolers, proportionately. Okay. I mean, we just have a smaller population in general. I'll give you a kind of a stark example. Uh, New York City has a public school population of about 2 million children in public schools in just the city. And uh, Premier Ford released the number of children that are in the public school environment during the teacher strikes this past year. And he said there are 1.5 million children in the province of Ontario, the entire province, Versus the city of New York. In, yeah, yeah. Versus the city of New York. Do you see the difference? Yeah, yeah. There's a huge difference. So homeschooling-wise, we might have, and it's really hard to find the exact numbers, but we may have between 30 and 50,000 homeschooling families across Canada. Okay. Right? And that's families. So the amount of children will vary anywhere between... 30 and 100,000 children, depending yeah. on, you know, what stats you use. Yeah. It's going to vary, right? Um, so that's 300 so, to 500,000 in the U.S. by comparison, probably. We're actually talking about one, they're looking at about 1.3 million. Oh, well, okay. So even, yeah. Well, yeah, you have to remember, okay. there's 335 million. Yeah, yeah. 335 million versus our 35 million. Yeah. Right, like I'm, still, I'm still stuck in thinking about 300 million to 30 million. That's where my brain is. No, it's it's a lot more than that. Yeah, we're like 37, 38 million now or something. Now. Yeah, something like that. So, <laughs> you know, but just proportionately speaking, um, you know, they're averaging between 5 and 8% mm-hmm. in the States. And, um, you know, if we, we do proportionately, um, you know, it, it's going to vary. But when you still consider that market in the States versus here in Canada, it makes a whole lot more sense to develop curriculum that can be used by you know hundreds of thousands of homeschooling families mm-hmm. in the States versus a few thousand families here in Canada, right? So the majority of our curriculum is going to be American-based. There are a few Canadian-based curriculums out there specifically for history and social studies. Mm-hmm. Um, you might get supplements for Canadian money but we use a lot of, you know, math doesn't change. We all use the Arabic number system, right? So you might get supplemental units to, to do measurement and money. But yeah. uh, other than that, you'll use an American curriculum. You notice there's some um, really good uh, subscription subscription services for like science uh, projects with crazy mm-hmm. like explosions and chemical colors and this changing yep. and that. And then, you know, maybe next month we'll send you like some motor stuff. And get this, motor yeah, the subscription you know. boxes are awesome. Yeah, and they have, I'm assuming they have them for all sorts of different subjects, but we've been really paying attention to the science ones because of, yep. uh, our, the nine-year-old, he's uh, most interested. Like, like you said, pay, taking some of the part, putting it back together. Sometimes just taking things apart and leaving them scattered about. And leaving them scattered. Yeah. You know, if you don't, I mean, because the Postal Service in the United States, if you're getting them from the States, the Postal Service is being disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to delay in subscription, check out Mastermind Toys. It's one of my favorite places for finding educational toys. They sell a lot of the kits, you know, at Canadian prices. Awesome, yeah. So, you know, check that those out. They'll deliver, too. So you can go online and, and just order it and it'll be delivered in a couple days. So, you know, you can still get this, the mail feel. Mm-hmm. Um it's not going to be a subscription, but then you get control over which one you want to do. So, you know, if you want to just focus on the electronics and simple machines and robots, feel free. Right. There's lots of, lots of resources out there. 
I'm, I'm thinking of a time, uh, I, I know I'm jumping all over on you here, so sorry, but <laughs> some of my brain works. Um, I, I was thinking about my time in college, and uh, we had these modular courses, right? So there'd be during, there's a, it was during a reading week, so you're supposed to have a week off, but instead they jammed their entire college course into one week. But you're sitting there for like eight hours a day, just on this one subject for the whole week. And then you have an exam at the end of the week that's worth like 60% of your MRI. It was crazy. Yep. And I remember the professors telling us this one course was called hermeneutics, right? And it was, they said, this is probably the most important course you're ever going to take in, this, in your entire college career. And I'm thinking, then why did you jam it into a week? <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of stuff like that. Like you can, do, you can construct units for your family and stuff like exactly. that based on taking, you know, in Alberta, take a trip out yep. to the mountains or, or to, you, know, yep. in Ham- you can go to Hamilton, Ontario here for waterfalls. It could be all sorts of units based around a certain topic. Absolutely. Punctuate it with access, maybe those subject matter experts. That's it. And it's it. a lot of fun to do it that way. I mean, yeah. project-based or unit study-based learning is a very popular homeschool method. And that's basically mm-hmm. the next step after you've, while you're in that de-schooling process, you're going to start looking at the various popular homeschooling methods. And there's probably about between six and eight of them, depending on who you talk to. Can we touch on them? Yeah, sure. So the first one is obviously traditional. Kids are at a desk with a textbook, with a workbook, with the parent standing at the, at the front teaching as if they were in a classroom. It's recreating school at home. For some families, they love this. It works. School might take, not take as long, but you know it's structured, it's, it's typical, it's expected, and they love it. It works. Other parents are like... Uh, no. <laughs> the second one um, would be, I think, classical. And this is based on a philosophy of uh, memorization, learning history, like a real heavy focus on history and religion and uh, religious values, and, and really working on memorization so that you can quote things, that learning happens when you can take it from you know, the classics. So the classics of West, Western civilizations. Um, there is a, a program called Classical, Classical Conversations mm-hmm. that often has a co-op associated with it. So you can really work with other families and kind of get a hybrid homeschool feel so that you're connected with the same group of families that, that feel similar, think similarly to you, mm-hmm. have similar philosophies. You do a lot of work at home and then you still get that group teaching feel. So that's an option. Another option would be something that's more literature-based. So this would be, um, you know, something like a Charlotte Mason, who is an educator out of the 1800s, who developed a philosophy of education that focused on reading what she called living books. So, so stories that taught. So you would learn history from reading historical fiction, mm-hmm. and you would learn science from reading, you know, books that had those scientific mm-hmm. phenomena explained in them. Um, and a lots of outside time, lots of exposure to art and music, lots of, of uh, lots and lots and lots of reading, lots of writing, but also things like narration and copy work and dictation, so that this, the parent dictates and the child writes. Um, so that's that's a philosophy. It, it's really heavily focused on literature. It's beautiful, makes for well-rounded artistic kids. Um, or that, you know, adults, but uh, not everybody likes that amount of reading. Another one um, is something that's much more hands-on. So this is based on, Montes- on Maria Montessori. We now have Montessori private schools, but you can recreate that at home. It's about providing the right materials and environments 
and guiding the student through using those to learn concepts and skills. And they don't move on from that level of materials and skills until they've mastered it. Then they can move on to the next level. And it's just a gradual guiding. And it's really hands-on and it's really about the materials. So it can be quite expensive for the homeschool parents because you have to purchase the materials or develop the materials. But for some kids, they thrive in this environment. Um, kind of an offshoot of that, like a, a blend of both, would be the Waldorf experience. Um, so you have that focus on art and nature and music, especially in the early grades. And there isn't a focus on reading until the later grades. And then you're going to learn, they're going to teach um, the child the five R's. So reason, reading, reason, rhetoric, research. I forgot what the last one is. I already Plus, like it. <laughs> I mean, talk about. I'm just hearing it for the first time. I already like the five R's. <laughs> yeah, five hours. It's, it's uh, recording. That's what it is. So it sounds recording. like the so, trivium, the trivium method, which is like a classical. Greek yeah, it, it is. Right? And it's yeah. kind of a blend of all of those. Um, the key aspect here is that they want the child to not be exposed to technology at all <laughs> until preteens. Right. They really believe that young children need to be out in nature, exposed to music and. Um, and art and nature and not really be taught formal reading and, and arithmetic and, and the core skills until much, much later. Mm -hmm. So some parents love it because it's that wild child. It's that, you know, old fashioned childhood, kids play, playing, kids mm -hmm. being kids. They love that idea. And other parents get a little nervous at the fact that their nine year old still isn't reading yet. Right, right. Depends on your level of comfort. Right. Um, then we move on into project-based. So you take a particular project that you want to do and incorporate all the subjects into it. It can also be called um, theme, theme studies. Uh, unit studies are kind of similar. So like these are kind of all where you take a theme and you're reading about that theme. So for example, classic example here is learning about ancient Egypt. So you would be reading about ancient Egypt. You would be, you know, figuring out geometry based on the pyramids. And you would be learning, you know, mathematics and geometry based on ancient Egyptians. You would be learning about writing based on the development of writing. So hieroglyphics through to cuneiform through to our Arabic writing. So you would be learning writing and spelling and grammar based on history of writing. And you would be learning history then from about the ancient Egyptians. You'd be learning science on what the topic the ancient Egyptians did science on. So a lot of anatomy, a lot of biology, a lot of decomposition, mummification, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, you might do some astronomy too because of the alignment of pyramids yeah, yeah. to the stars. And then here in Ontario, you can head over to the Royal Ontario Museum where they have a great exhibit on ancient Egypt. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you can cap that off, right? Um, you know, you could mummify some, you know, mummify a doll and, and wrap them up and put the amulets in or, you know, go outside and, and or like learn how to write your name in hieroglyphics and learn how to make a scroll. And maybe you, you, you go get flax and you learn how to make linen so that you can make linen, the linen wrappings for the mummies. Or maybe you go outside and then you try to build your own pyramid. And can you actually align that? How hard is it to align a pyramid to the stars? You know, figure that out. There's a whole lot of hands-on math right there, yeah. right? In engineering and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it can be a lot a of fun. you and a compass. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even have that, by the way. Uh. They had a plumb line and a good eye. 
and lots of slaves. <laughs> lots of people working for them. Anyways, so, them. <laughs> so, I mean, it really just depends. And then we can move right into where we have what's called delight directed or unschooling. This, this sounds like uh, the Montessori where you're finding out what they're interested in and then it is, pushing. But it Montessori is guided. It's still teacher or parent directed. Right, there's still choice, but the choices are limited by the teacher and the parents. The child can only choose from the selection of activities that the that you know their their caregiver their their education facilitator has chosen pre chosen for them. With unschooling or delight directed education, there's no limits. The child decides what they want to learn when they want to learn it, right. and the parent then follows their lead. So. If the child wants to learn about knitting and learning to knit a sweater, then the and then it's up to the parent to say, okay, well, let's go to the store and we'll pick up some yarn and we'll pick up a pattern book and then let's watch a video and figure out how this works, right? And as the child gets older, it's less and less parent and it's more and more child where they just go and find it themselves. The idea here is that a child will learn what they need to know when they need to know it. Right. For some kids, this is an amazing way for them to learn, and they master, you know, college courses before they're 14. For other kids, it can be something they regret. I mean, we've gotten a lot of mixed stories for this. It just, I think it depends on how active the parents are, how, how much the parents pay attention to putting things in front of the child, mm -hmm. to spark curiosity, to spark learning, how much of an example parents show. And I mean, that applies to all kinds of homeschooling. How much of an example are you showing to your children about learning? Mm -hmm. Are you learning? Are you reading? Kids want to read when they see parents read. You know, kids will write when they see parents write. The old saying, more is caught than is taught, it rings true, right? Kids will do what they see being done. Mm. So if you want your child to learn a certain topic, go learn it yourself. I Have a conversation say, at the dinner table yeah, yeah. and watch them learn. I was just going to say, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for you to learn as well. And the one thing that immediately came to mind is, hey, we're going to teach about uh, geography and like how to grow food in a little garden or, uh, or microgreens and with uh, hydroponics yeah. inside, how to grow food and beans and peas and stuff. And you're going to be learning that at the same time and growing food for the family while they're learning how to do that as well. And you're giving them, again, that, that, that life skill. You're giving them life skill, but you can also talk about the plant life cycle, how plants yeah. start from seeds. How do they get, make, you know, how do they grow? Well, everything needs food. So how do plants get their own food? You're learning about photosynthesis. And then you can even take it even further and learn about the chemistry of photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. And then you can learn about chemical structures. And then you can learn about atoms. And all of a sudden, you're delving into physics. Mm -hmm. Like it just depends on how how deep you want to go, and that really is going to depend on your child, right? Some kids will be happy with knowing that hey, plants make their own food using the sun. Great, that's all I really need to know. Other kids are going to be like, how does that happen? And then how does photosynthesis work? And so then they're going into the cell, and they're like, cool. How does that work? And then they're going into the chem. I mean, that would be my kid. My ten year old would be like, is like. I love photosynthesis. It's this plus this, and then this happens, and then and she can tell you how the chemical structure changes. Mm -hmm. Blows my mind sometimes. You know, so it just depends on the kid. It depends on the parent. How excited are you? 
about what you're learning. <laughs> it feels like, and I don't, I don't want to be overly critical because again, like none of us know what we're doing here. And we're like, in terms of like COVID moving yep. forward with COVID as a society, we're trying to, we're just kind of shooting in the big dark. But <clears throat> it seems like the new way of going back to school, the new way things are going to be, at least for the foreseeable future, um, it seems like it would kind of kill curiosity. Uh, you know, and it seems like there's, or there, there's at least not as much room to pursue the things that might actually, uh, you know, just kind of light a fire under a kid's uh, wanting there, to There isn't room for it, right? I mean, public school is much like, a, you know, my ex-husband would call it a kid factory. He's like, I mean, you think of it like an assembly line. If you want cookie cutter people, you, you send them. Everybody progresses to the same material. Like as a class, everybody progresses to the same material at the same pace. And I mean... Teachers test kids to see how well they taught the material. If 60% of the class understands the material, 60% of the material, they say, check, good job, and move on. Right. So that leaves that 40% of the kids don't understand the material, and nobody understands almost half of the material. Is that really a good job? Right. I don't test my kids. I don't have to because I'm intimately involved in their education, it's like learning how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. You know when your child is right, knows how to ride a bike because you can see them take off and do it on their own. I know when my child has mastered multiplication because it's easy for them. They're not struggling with it anymore. I know when my child learns how to write a story when I can read the story, right? Like I know when my child has mastered the concepts of the ancient Romans and, you know, how long government work when they can start telling other people about right. how long government work. When they start telling you how to vote, <laughs> we know there's a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when it's not just coming uh, as parroting from, you know, and it's not parroting it's yeah. mom, what do you think about this? And they're, you know, telling me about a particular bill that they heard on the news, and I'm going, wait, wh when did you learn that? Yeah. Sometimes they surprise us all, right? Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I like doing that. Uh, even uh, even just before, like, just when he's been a regular school, just before, like, he'll say something, and it'll be, like, uh, our family, our family here, we all have kind of differing political opinions, right? It's, it makes for fun <laughs> conversations sometimes, or no conversation. But he'll <laughs> come and he'll say something like, so-and-so's or something or other, and I'm like, oh, why is that? Because he did this or said this. And I'm like, did he? Okay, about what? And it's just, I, I like pushing him. It's like, you can, you can have, uh, yeah. uh, you know, whatever opinion you want, but you have to go to defend it and it has to make sense. So, I, so I'm going to And those are skills as well, right? Learning how to communicate, <laughs> even verbally translate. I mean, good communicators can write well. So if you want a child to learn how to write well, you have to teach them how to communicate. Mm -hmm. And by getting them to defend their opinion, by getting them to be not like, don't be afraid to state an opinion. Just be prepared to back it up. That's it. That develops people who are not only confident and assertive, but they know how to communicate because now they know how to communicate without <clears throat> giving offense and without taking offense. Mm. And those are important skills. If more of us had those skills, we'd have less issues in our political system. Creating that level of uh, assertiveness uh, and autonomy and confidence is super important to me. Uh, as I said before, we kind of started recording. I, uh, I teach, excuse me, yeah. self-defense, and deal a lot with um, when it comes to self-defense. There's maybe ten to twenty percent of the people that want to learn it 
proactively. 80% of the time, it's someone, something's already happened and they don't want it to happen again. I have, uh, you know, I have my nine-year-old, I have my two-year-old daughter, uh, who's a tiny, beautiful little princess. <laughs> and then I have <clears throat> my uh, three-month-old as well. And I, I just look, uh, as I mentioned as well, you know, involved in, in traffic, anti-trafficking charities. And I just look at all the potential for danger for them out there. And, yeah. you know, you want to prepare them for that and give them the skills yeah. and, the, and the tools for that. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a part of that education as well. I think it's super it is a part of their days. education, right? And, I mean, <clears throat> I've learned from experience, I mean, because of my past history, um, that strong people can still fall prey to liars, right? And, and we can be fooled. But being aware of what's going on and being and know, like for me, it's really, really important that my girls know that they have a choice and nobody can take that choice away. They still have a choice. It doesn't matter what anybody says. They always, there's always a choice that can be made. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, can you live with the consequences? Mm -hmm. And when you decide that you can live with the consequences, it gives you a confidence to make hard choices. I look at my 16 year old daughter and she's gorgeous. And we actually had a situation happen. Um, she was in the cadets program. And uh, so our local cadets program is a large group and she started at age 13. Um, and uh, she got fell in with a group of girls that were at the, the cadets program who decided that they didn't like her for whatever reason. I mean, it happens, right? And she would come home and she'd just be like, mom, they don't like me. And, and I go, okay, do you want me to do something about that? And she goes, nah, I don't care that they don't like me. They don't have to like me. And I, that just blows my mind, right? Because I'm like, how do you not care that someone doesn't like you? And she's but a anyways, 16 year old girl, which seems a little bit odd that she's. This was at 13. <laughs> this was at 13. Me. Even so, worse. <laughs> Even right? Show, right? And so just kind of like, okay, well, let me know if, if, if it becomes a problem and we'll deal with it. And so she went the year and she would, you know, come home and she would complain that, you know, they didn't like her and they were excluding her. But I didn't think anything of it because she wasn't bothered by it. And so we go back the next year and similar things happen, just a few things here and there that got her a little frustrated, but she wasn't bothered by it. And it wasn't until last year that it started when, as, as they go through the cadets program, they step into the positions of leadership at the top of the program. So as she was supposed to be stepping into the leadership, all of a sudden she found herself being held back. And she couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't until it dawned on her that the girls that didn't like her were deliberately blocking her from being part of the leadership team. And then it became a problem. And when I looked into it and I looked into it further, it dawned on me that she'd actually been bullied by these girls for three years. And not, neither of us had actually noticed. It was not a problem. Could you imagine being a teen, like a, a young teenager and having kids attempt to bully you for two and a half years and not notice mm. because mm. it doesn't bother you because the typical, you know, behaviors of bullies don't get a reaction out of you. Can you imagine how frustrating it was for those bullies? Mm -hmm. They weren't getting a reaction out of her. <laughs> I just look at her and I go, I wish I'd had a fraction of that confidence mm -hmm. when I was her age because it would have made a difference. Right. We're in um uh, we're in a blended family over here too, and I think that in a situation where maybe the kids go through a lot, 
right? It can make them kind of resilient. It's like, so and not, and not to take away from yeah. the seriousness of bullying and, and the effect it can have on somebody, but, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I don't know, it's just the level of stress. Like if you've had, you know, it's like a military member gone over and done a tour overseas and mm -hmm. people have seen people beside him shot and blown up and he's got his people, you come over here and the volume is turned down on some of the other stuff, you know? It is. It is. I mean, for her, coming from our situation, um, me being a, a violent marriage, and she was a lot of the target, like my oldest was a lot of, of one of the targets as well as I, I was. She developed coping skills, but she was really sensitive for the longest time. And so it was a real mark of her growth as a person to be able to not let some childhood, childish bully bother her. I was just so proud of her. And that, I think, is, is the mark of having family bonds where we can build on, you know, and we can and build each other up and we can repair the wounds of trauma. Mm -hmm. We can repair the wounds of, of violence that have happened. When you have people around you that can support you, when you have people around you that, you know, that can prevent violence almost as much as, uh, you know, as self-defense can. Mm -hmm. When you have support, when you have freedom and when you have choices and I find that homeschooling has given my family freedom and flexibility and choices and the ability to be who they are without fear mm -hmm. right without, um, without restriction I, I think the, the the entire subject of violence prevention <clears throat> self-defense is only one small component of it and uh, and, and, and and to say if you know <clears throat> teach self-defense or do this or this simple thing like teach men not to rape or any of these things. These are all just very gross oversimplifications of a very complex problem. Yeah. And you're not going to solve violence by teaching self-defense. You're not going to solve violence by teaching men not to rape. You're not going to solve violence by donating to a trafficking charity. You're not going to solve violence by teaching your child autonomy and assertiveness. But by doing all of the above, you can really help them to prevent it or so you better navigate it should they ever encounter it. You know, I think it's yeah. a more, you got to take a more holistic approach to that kind of you thing. You do. And you that's do. a part of lifelong education as well. It is. <laughs> and, and knowing where to find the resources is also a part of education, right? When, when you can teach your child to not be spoon-fed their education, right? When they aren't sitting back and passively taking it in, mm. that they're expecting someone else to teach them everything they need to know. When they're used to going out and finding the answer for themselves when a problem like family violence or community violence comes up they're more likely to say okay wait a second this is a problem how do we fix it and they're more likely to go out and find the solution even if it's only personal if you if you don't mind this uh <clears throat> i'm just having a flashbacks of our scenario and <clears throat> And kind of the the challenges of going through the family court system and everything, and and then just kind of everything all, all topsy turvy. When you are um, in your situation, when you're in a relationship that is violent, and you're trying to not just find a way out, but you also have at that time what six kids in tow. Yeah. And you're not just you're not just concerned about yourself. Obviously, you're concerned about them and kind of the impact it's going to have on them. What? I guess to the degree you're, you're, you're willing to share. How did you find your way out of that? What resources did you find that helped you? 
because there's other people that are probably in that scenario right now as we speak. And, uh, you know, it's yeah. not a scenario I wish on anybody. No. So, I mean, I tell my personal story on my blog. So if you're really curious, you can get all of the, as many of the details as, as you want to read there. Um, but to kind of give it in a nutshell, I met my ex-husband. Um, I was already a single parent. My, my oldest is mine by a, a relationship I had in college. And uh, her father and I, I mean, if I could have picked a better co-parent, I don't think I could have. Honestly, I think I won the lottery with him. He and I are good friends. We get along great. So when I got married, I was expecting, I met him in 2006, and we were married in 2008. And uh, the day after the wedding, I knew I made a mistake. Because uh, the <clears throat> five hours that we drove to our so-called honeymoon, he yelled at me the whole entire time about everything I had done wrong the previous day. And I feigned being asleep for a good portion of that ride because I just didn't want to listen to it. And uh, I remember getting there and just feeling relieved that we were around other people because then, you know, maybe he wouldn't yell at me anymore. And I kind of just, I went to our honeymoon and dreading the fact that, and just knowing I had made a mistake. And not knowing that I could have done something about it then, because I, mean, I grew up in a family where when you got married, it was for life. And divorce just was, wasn't an option. So I was like, well, maybe it was just because he was tired. And I would started, and that started the trend of making the excuses. And uh, it didn't get better. There were, you know, incidences, smaller things, and they escalated. And I didn't see the pattern. I just, because I wasn't educated on, but there was a pattern. And there was always a reason. And there was always a reason until 2010. In February of 2010, I was nine months pregnant with our thir uh, my third child, our second child together, and uh, we had just picked up my oldest um, from a visit with her father, put her to bed, uh, put our second child to bed, and uh, he, I forget what it was, but he lost it, and he just started screaming at me, and I, something snapped inside me, and I just walked away. I walked away and I didn't walk into our bedroom. I walked into the kids room and I sat there in the dark and I closed the door and I locked it and I just sat there in the dark, quiet. Typically with a fight like that, I would walk away and I would walk into our bedroom and he would not speak to me, but he'd follow me, get his shoes and he'd walk out of the house and I wouldn't know where he would go and when he would, um, if and when he would come back, but when he would come back, it would be like nothing had happened. And tonight I changed the pattern. That night I changed the pattern. And he couldn't find me. And that just enraged him. And uh, he broke the door. He, I, I don't know if he kicked it or something, but he broke the door. Dragged me out of the room by my wrist. Dragged me down the hallway and went to try to throw me down the slide stairs. Right. It was the scariest yeah. night of my life. And the kids are screaming behind him. Um, my my oldest at the time was five years old, and uh, she's out there. She's watching this, and she's screaming. And I'm just begging. I'm begging, like, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. He finally lets go, and he walks away. He goes and gets the kids. And honestly, that was more terrifying. Mm -hmm. I ran for the phone and called the police because that's all I knew to do. And uh, so he was arrested, and he was 
put in jail and I was left with the kids at home, nine months pregnant, talking to a police officer about what had happened. And the police officer was basically like, um, we'll send you some resources in the morning. Do you have someone just come stay with you? And so it kind of went from there, but it was an introduction to a woman's shelter counselor that showed me the pattern that showed me that, that you know, the classic wheel of, of the power and abuse that, that you see. And it just opened my eyes. Yeah. It opened my eyes to the patterns that were there in our relationship. And something inside me said, this is not going to happen again. This is not going to happen. Um, so for the next seven months or so, um, we worked through a separation. We had family and children services involved walking me through and, and they were very much protective of me. And I mean, I had my daughter, my third child. So I had a newborn and uh, an 18 month old and a five year old at the time. And they walked me, you know, protected me and walked me through how to deal with the separation and how to deal with visitation and all of that. And I ended up moving back to, um, we had been, we had moved out of the area we are in now and I moved back because that's where my, my community was. And so he started calling me long distance and not being able to see him all the time, being still newlywed, being still, you know, brand new mom. Um, it, he convinced me over the phone that things had changed. Things would be different. And uh, so by the end of that year, we had fallen pregnant again with my fourth daughter and he had, uh, we moved in together by like about 18 months after we, we, we kind of reconciled about 18 months after we had separated. And uh, so we bought a house together. And as soon as we bought the house, I fell pregnant for the fifth time. I'm apparently really easily. And uh, as soon as we bought the house every, and, and I was pregnant, everything changed. Everything. It was like he had ticked all the boxes and he's like he didn't have to try anymore and I could see the pattern I could this time I could see the pattern and so I reached out for help I reached out for um, support that I could found and I connected with a group online and I was getting um, almost daily support online and uh, by December of that year I started putting together a plan of you know what had to happen in order to make the marriage work and what I would do if it didn't work. And it took me five months to develop my plan and gain the courage to confront him. And I confronted him with separation papers and I said, I'm giving you three months. You either participate in our marriage counseling program. He'd already knew about it. I'd already invited him into it. And I said, I'm looking for help on our marriage. We're having problems, you know, all of that. He already knew about it, but I, I challenged him. I said, you either participate wholeheartedly to fix the issues in our marriage or in three months, I'm filing these with the court. And uh, he didn't take it seriously. He didn't take it seriously. And so um, about our, our, fifth daughter was born in April of that year. Um, so she was about two and a half months old, like about two months old. And we went on a family camping vacation and it was at a, a family campground. And uh, I had to nurse the baby 
and I had asked him to take the other kids to the playground to play. And he took them to the playground, which was about two, like about 100 meters from our campsite, okay. just out of sight. We have to remember, they were 20 months old, three, four, nonverbal. She wasn't talking. She was like autistic mm -hmm. and a nine-year-old. And he left them there at the playground. No adult supervision. And he, and he thought the nine-year-old could watch, you know, a 20-month-old and a three-year-old and a, a nonverbal five-year-old. And I, you know, I'm like, no, you can't come back. You have to watch the kids. He flipped. He lost. He yelled at me for a good 20 minutes through the tent. Like, I'm inside the tent nursing the baby. He yelled at me so loud that I had people coming up to me at the beach for days and, and anytime I was by myself asking me if I was all right, asking me if I needed help, asking me, you know, what's, uh, is everything okay? They were afraid for my safety. They were afraid for my family. And it dawned on me that th this was not working. And it took about six weeks of intensive work with the counselor to get him to move out. And uh, so when he moved out, I was still willing to make it work to try to keep trying, I needed I needed certain behaviors to change, right? Like it was non-negotiable. And in October of that year, he sent me an email that said, "Stop trying to make me change. Take it or leave it." So what was I supposed it. to do? Yeah, I left, right? And uh, so that began the guess. Like we'd already been separated for three months at the time, and I'd already connected with community resources. Uh, here in Canada, we have an excellent family social network like safety net so I'd connected with that um, I'd had a few friends of mine that were trying to support both of us and, and unfortunately whenever you're in that situation trying to support both people does not work um, people who are abusive tend to take advantage of that um, so uh, but anyways I had my lawyer, and uh, the divorce was filed in December of that year. We'd gone to court six months later and um, had custody and child support arranged. Thankfully, I had an excellent, excellent lawyer. Um, legal aid in Ontario is fantastic because we owned the house. There was a, a lien placed on the house to pay for it, so that was extremely helpful. So I didn't have to worry about financially. Um, I had started a business around the same time that we'd gotten married, I want to say around that same time. So I had a little bit of income that I had basically put into savings. And when we had reconciled, I didn't rejoin our bank accounts. I had mine separate and I kept it separate because I didn't fully trust him. Mm -hmm. So I kept it separate. I kept my savings separate. I didn't use my savings unless I had to, which happened way more often than I want to actually talk about. Let's <laughs> not go no, into no, the financial that's side. That's actually a good point. Like, um, and when people think of abuse, they typically think of the physical abuse, but it, it's not just there. There's the it's isolating not. from friends and the family. There's all like you said, but yeah. use those relationships. They present one way and then they're behind closed doors another way. Exactly. Yeah. And two, it's like, mean, if I can bleed you dry of your financial resources, then you're not going to leave me and I have your control. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there were, there were a lot of things I had to fix, right? I wore contacts up until 2010 and I'd been wearing them for 10 years and he wouldn't let me see an eye doctor. 
the only medical care I ever received was because I was pregnant. And uh, I went after we separated the first time I went to see an eye doctor right away. And I lost my contacts because I now have scarring, like permanent scarring on my corneas. And it's damaged my eyesight. I can't wear contacts anymore. Was was the scarring from the contact? The scarring was from the contact, was from an Mm -hmm. undiagnosed eye infection that I'd had for a year that I wasn't able to get treated because I wasn't able to see, seek medical help. I wasn't allowed. Um, my, I'd had a driver's license <laughs> when we got married and it expired and I was never allowed to go get it again. And before anybody that's an American listener thinks uh, anything, like also, not only obviously is that a shitty thing and, you know, to be a partner, <laughs> but in Canada, our medical care is essentially free, so it's not like you're incurring some sort of insane cost to get an eye. No, it was I was literally physically <clears throat> prevented from going. Yeah. Right, especially because my driver's license expired, <clears throat> and when your driver's license expires, you can't even rent a car. So it's not like I could. I had transportation. I didn't have transportation. I relied on other people to drive me places, and I relied on people to bring me things. I walked everywhere with my children or used public transit as, as I could um, because I didn't have a driver's license. I got my driver's license as soon as we separated, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it takes a while to get back into that. I bought a car after the divorce was filed <coughs> and uh, the divorce was final in 2014 and uh, we moved. I put the house up for sale but we lost this house in a power of sale. I couldn't sell it before the they foreclosed. So, um, which was fine because there wasn't going to be any profit for it anyways. Because unknown, unknown to me, he hadn't paid the property taxes in two years. Oh my. So between the property taxes and the legal aid lien, <clears throat> yeah. and the fact that we'd only bought it the year before, you know, there just wasn't anything there. Were you homeschooling through all of this? <laughs> Homeschooling was our lifeline. Like, it was the lifeline. It was the only thing that kept me sane because it got me out of my head. It got me – I had something I had to do, right? Right. I had something that I could focus on. I could focus on my kids. I could focus on making sure they were being taught. So between navigating my daughter's special needs and and navigating through her diagnosis and homeschooling my older one – and then nursing the baby and, and caring for the toddlers, that was what really kept me sane. <coughs> I apologize here. Um, That's good. <laughs> you have a little sip there. I'm talking a lot, right? But uh, homeschooling was really the, the one <clears throat> thing that stayed the same. So it really became our stability, right? We all had the same routine every day because homeschooling provided the foundation for our days, for our lifestyle. And uh, <clears throat> I was still technically on maternity leave, right? Because I had, you know, she was three months old when I left, right? Um, so we moved and uh, the divorce was final and we started, um, he didn't pay any support at all during our separation. It wasn't until the divorce was final and the amount was listed in the divorce decree that he actually paid anything. Right. Thankfully, again, Canada has generous financial benefits, and I'd had savings. So I used my savings to fund us, to move us, to, you know, support my family. And then after the dust had settled 
and we moved and we were stable again, I started my current business, uh, Zara Support. I put my skills to use, and uh, within a couple of months, I had a you know part-time work, and uh, now I carry a full client list, and I have referrals coming in all the time. I love it. So. What is Zara Support? Your company, but what do you? Yeah, Zara Support is my is my business. I offer web design and technical support from home. Um, I also offer business planning services. I target usually women because men still make me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, leftovers, right? But uh, so I, tar I work primarily with women who are looking to, for whatever reason, be able to stay home with their children. Mm. And or are looking to, they have a business and they're looking to either grow it or transition it online. Mm -hmm. So often what I'll do is I'll work with a woman who has a great business idea but has no idea how to start or grow it, especially using the digital marketplace. And we'll work through, um, you know, creating her business plan, developing products, developing a marketing strategy, and then I'll provide the practical support that she needs. Mm -hmm. um, creating a brand, creating a website, um, helping her setting up all the bits and pieces for an online business that then she can use to grow and develop an income of her own. I also work with larger businesses to grow their business, especially in terms of email marketing or uh, virtual events. Mm -hmm. So I work um, to create email marketing with uh, product funnels. And I also work with virtual events where I will provide all the support so that um, speakers and sponsors and, and all of their materials are placed into platforms where they can, uh, attendees can then access and view and everything works smoothly and I do all the behind the scenes work and uh, it's a lot of fun. Sounds like because of all the challenges and scarcity you face, you've been able to kind of be creative and resourceful and not just the, the screening aspect or the business aspect because yes. I have six kids to support and I got, I got to do There's no option now. here. And in doing so, it sounds like you're providing a resource Another resource, yet another resource for people to reach out to um, that are in a challenging scenario. Uh, exactly. Whether whether it be through homeschooling, whether it be, like you said, they're uh, you know someone with a yeah. business idea that they can't, uh, they're, they're trying to figure that out. So uh, yeah. that that's fantastic. Um, now the I don't I don't know how closely associated you are with the Ontario Federation. I mean, you're part of a part member of the Ontario Federation. I am. I'm a, I am a member, but I'm actually. It's kind of funny that you ask. I'm actually um, in process of starting the training to become um, on the leadership board of the of the Ontario oh, Federation nice. of Teaching Parents. So, yeah. Excellent. Now they they've linked um, they've linked to raising royalty, which yes, is your blog, um, yeah. and that's again kind of how I how I came across and discovered you. And uh, I want to point everybody to RaisingRoyalty.ca, yes. uh, whether you're Canadian or not, to check out some information on homeschooling, yeah. on the de-schooling process, on practical stuff. Like basically anything we haven't been able to cover yeah. in this talk, you'll cut, you'll cover it there. And exactly. And uh, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to send a flood, of, necessarily a flood of people your way to, to eat up all your time. But all I can say is when I when I emailed you to contact you, like you're, you're pretty on the ball when it comes to replying. I try so, to. I do try to. Yeah. I think probably if anybody has uh, questions or anything like that, they can Absolutely. probably direct them to you quite easily. Uh, would you like to let people know how they can get a hold of you and how what they can um, contact well, 
Yeah, I have contact info on my both my blog, um, so you can definitely reach out to me okay. through my, through my blogs. Um, my business blog is zerasupport.com, so that's x e r a support.com. Um, and one of the things that I'm actually offering, like next week, is uh, a free webinar on finding your work from home. Um, so that's available for anyone who wants to actually participate in that. Uh, I'll, I'll go over the differences between a job at home and a business at home and how to stay away from the scams. As I said, I've been working from home for over 10 years. I started during my marriage because, you know, before, like around the same time that I got married um, because I never fit in with the corporate culture. I just, I wonder why that happens. I don't know, but I never fit in. So I was like, I want to, you know, do my own thing. And You're so I, I, I am, honestly, I am. I'm a self-starter. Right. I got to do it myself. Um, but uh, so, you know, from that side, I'm easily accessible there. I'm always on Facebook. Feel free to look me up. I um, locally, I run the KWC homeschoolers support group. I also admin a Facebook group for Guelph homeschooling. I'm in the uh, Ontario homeschoolers group. So if you're looking for me, you can just tag me in there and I'll probably see it. Um, you know, I, I'm everywhere. Right. <laughs> this is what people tell me all the time. I'm like, I saw you over there. Right. Um, I've done 10 different events in the last year. So, you know, I've done 10 different speaking events, uh, virtual summits. So again, I've done podcasts. I'm, I'm all over the place, but I'm happy to, to give you my links and uh, you can post them below and, hmm. and anybody can look me up from there. That's the thing. There seems to be quite uh, in quite a community of people into homeschooling. Where is. if you can't find the resources, someone's got resources they can find. Somebody's got them for you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I am connected with a large group of homeschool bloggers that develop curriculum, that develop programs that have support. And if you're looking for hand-in-hand mentorship, I know two people that have coaching membership mentorship to develop mm-hmm. homeschool program for you and with you. So that you have that one-on-one support if you if that's what you feel like you need, mm-hmm. um, you know. There's even we've even gone as far as to create uh, COVID homeschooling groups for Ontario. So for those people who are looking specifically for short-term homeschooling tips, um, it, whether that's distance learning or homeschooling specifically, mm-hmm. we've got support there for you. I mean, as a community, we really do want to support people in educating their families no matter what that looks like. Yeah. Like every like every community, you're going to find smaller insular groups. But for the most part, connecting with a homeschool community means that you're connecting with a group of people that are open to new ideas, that are interested in finding out about you, are interested in walking beside you so that you can find the path that's best fit for your family. Sounds like homeschooling is probably not at all what you think it's going to be. It's definitely not as difficult as you think it's going to be. And uh, it could be very, very rewarding if it's something that somebody wants to pursue. Uh, and, and again, I'm just thinking too informative years, right? Like if I'm able to have that influence on my child in their formative years, rather than giving them to, you know, some strangers to teach standardized education for X amount of time in a day, and you're having that much more of influence and, and ultimately having that much more of an impact on the future um, yeah, exactly. not just your kids, but society and your planet, because the best way to alter the future is through the kids that we put into the future. 
That's so right. I, that's I right. I mean, I've always said it's actually more difficult to potty train than to teach a child to read. So, you know, reading's easy. Like, right. honestly, it is. The average adult can learn to read in 30 days. So, you know, even if you leave them illiterate till they're 18, which is highly doubtful, you know, again, education requires a willing, engaged adult, and chances are you can't stop them from learning something. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Sarah Wall, thank you so much for uh, coming and chatting tonight. Absolutely. Uh, this was more of an exploration for me as we, we kind of approach this new topic of homeschooling ourselves and de-schooling and, and really kind of taking control of the education of our family and of our kids. And uh, I just want to thank you for being uh, being available to come come and talk. And again, I just wanted to have you on here because again, in COVID times, uh, there's a lot of people that are facing the question of what they're going to do in September and moving forward. And I just wanted to present this as an option um, because it's one yep. that we're going to. I'm doing. happy to share. Happy to share. Perfect. Again, Sarah, thank you. Remember, uh, go check out RaisingRoyalty.ca. You can find her contact information there or search for her on Facebook or zerosupport.com. All those links will be in the video description here as well. And please, uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, do not forget to subscribe to this channel because we love your support. And uh, if you're an audio person, you want to take uh, an audio download for this onto your device, whatever it's case, if you listen while you're commuting or not, you can go to anchor.fm and uh, look for the combative community podcast. Sarah, once again, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it.